Yeah, they're wrong, I know they are Cause I can play this here guitar Ladies and gentlemen, it's not often I can say anything like this, but this is one of my truest friends in life. Uh, we've known each other many, many moons. Michael O'Neill is one of the world-renowned guitar player, composers, and like I say, proud to be a friend. So Mike, how the heck are you? Great. Good to see you, Stu. Thanks for inviting me in. You too, Mike. Well, thanks for being here. I should also add mentor because you've helped me with so much of what I've done in my professional life. So uh, just throw that out there and we'll go from there. So let's, uh, you know, for folks that don't really know you, um, I'm going to just start by saying your first main instrument is guitar. That's where it kind of began for both of us, I would say. And um, of course, you know, things have changed quite a bit. But when we first met, uh, it was over guys like Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix. That's where it started. In short order, though, within the next couple, three years, all of a sudden you were woodshedding on this guy named George Benson that most of us couldn't even conceive of yet. I certainly couldn't, you know. And uh, now let's just flash forward to here we are today. And Michael has been with George now, what, 37 38 years? About 35 years. 35 years. Well, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. So what became an early influence for Michael and uh, a favorite musician became his boss and uh, cohort. They've done many things together over the years. How many times would you say you've traveled around the world with George? Just with, George? With, with George alone? Yes. Oh, my God. It's 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 uh, 30 plus. 30 plus. Kind of pretty much. Yeah, and with uh, <clears throat> more to come, 2019, we have a schedule, an international schedule. Um, although <clears throat> it being shorter than it used to be as, you know, his uh, getting up in age. He's getting up in yeah. years. And so, um, but yeah. We were still we're still at it. Okay, and, and for those that aren't that familiar with George Benson, I'll just give you a little f refresher here on jazz history, music history, one hundred and one. Uh, George kind of made his breakthrough in the late '60s, I imagine, or somewhere in the '60s. Pretty young man, as a jazz guitarist, uh, didn't sing much back then, or at least not as much as he became known for singing and pretty much set, set the uh, jazz world on fire. There wasn't anybody really like George since Wes Montgomery, and George took it to a whole new place, you know? So anyway, Michael is, uh, like I say, he's been with George. I've been a fan since before Mike ever joined George, but he's how I knew about George Benson. And uh, for those of you that uh, might not be real familiar with George, you're going to be familiar with most everybody else that Mike has traveled the world, recorded with, played with on television, and everywhere else. 
But why don't we start out with some early influences, things that made you do what you do now and never, ever falter. So. Yeah, well, it started out in my childhood. You know, I'm of Mexican-American, a Mexican-Irish descent. And um, from the earliest age I can remember, you know, three years old and up, my godfather, who was my grandmother's brother, my mother's uncle, was the founder of, uh, co-founder of a, uh, a trio of Mexico. They actually created the format called Trio Folklorico, which we see in, you know, uh, the format is the three guitarists with sombreros and serapes. It's this format, romantic love songs and whatnot. Two regular Spanish guitars and one called a requinto, which is tuned a higher, a fifth higher, and is sort of the lead player in that format. They invented it. My godfather's group called Trio Calaveras, which means the three skull heads. Yeah. Why they chose that, I can't tell you, but all I know is... Uh, when uh, when I was little, they'd come to Los Angeles every year and uh, stay with my grandmother and grandfather in Santa Monica. And as they um, had their performances at the Million Dollar Theater downtown, the majestic 40s, you know, and 50s and 60s mm. style big theater. And um, so I was um, in the family gatherings. I was around hearing the music and, you know, taking it all in and they they used to put me up uh, on a table because I did like an Elvis impression, like a hound dog, you know. <laughs> so like put me on the table, but you know, th this was my earliest influences. And when I was maybe in an early teen, um, my godfather showed me uh, kind of my first like what you call bolero, which is a Spanish ballad, a love song, uh, solamente una vez, one more time, only one more time on the Spanish guitar, so just basic stuff, but uh, I'm named after him, by the way. He's M Miguel Bermejo, and I'm Michael, or Miguel. And, and so that was my sort of a foray into, into the love of music. And then, and then so, segue to right now, I'm producing, one of the artists I'm producing is a Filipino singer, Filipino-American singer named Richard Aguila, with his immense talent. And I, I had uh, written a song, which wasn't complete, but um, uh, all in Spanish, Spanish lyric called Tu Eres Todo, uh, which means you are everything. And um, I, it was just kind of sitting on the desk, you know, on my desk, uh, and when I hooked up with Richard, um, I found the voice for the song, even though he does not speak a word of Spanish, had never sung in Spanish. But he had the right voice, the right soul, the Filipino culture sort of like tied into it perfectly. Um, and so uh, this is a, uh, a current release, single release that we just have rolled out with uh, Richard Aguila singing my song, Tu Eres Todo, which is a bolero, which is goes right back to the beginnings, as I said, of the first song my uh, godfather yeah. showed me. Well, I had a chance to hear it myself just uh, yesterday, and it's a beautiful song, and we are going to be playing that real soon in the show, and maybe, maybe, how about right now, Mike, what do you think? Uh, I won't argue. Then here we go.
vida mi amor He mirado por alguien como tú Mi amor Sin saber dónde se encuentra mi amor He buscado por todas partes Cuando por fin te encuentra mi amor no pude creer lo que vi Mi corazón y un salto tan alto Casi llegó a la luna Mi amor Tus brazos son las puertas a tu alma Y tus ojos las ventanas de tu corazón tu pelo es como estrellas en el cielo Y tus dedos están pintando las notas de canción Tú eres todo De todos los altibajos No puedo vivir sin ti Mi amor Mi vida se completa contigo Mi amor Tú eres mi ángel Un don De lo alto Tus brazos son las puertas a tu alma y tus ojos las ventanas de tu corazón Tu pelo es como estrellas en el cielo Y tus dedos están pintando las notas de canción Eres todo
That's a great song, Mike. Let me ask you a little bit about your guitar playing on that. I'm, I'm going to assume that you played all of the guitars, if not all the instruments as well. Well, uh, yes, I did play the guitars and all the instruments. And all the instruments. Yeah, it's like kind of like the Wizard of Oz, don't mind the, uh, mind the man behind the curtain. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it all works, works so well. Um, the guitar playing is very tasteful. It gives everything kind of a nice modern edge. Your your stamp is on there, your trademark sound. I recognize you, and the song is traditional. And yes, tell, tell us the name of the uh, vocalist again. Richard Aguila, yeah. And, you know, of course, the, this is a love song. And so, it, it you know, that's the, the emotion that uh, we're both trying to hit in, in this, you know, him vocally. Like, as I assembled the whole arrangement with all the instrumentation, try to create a beautiful palette there, but <clears throat> with my guitar, sort of like the co-featured voice. I, I, I was going after, you know, romantic mm. uh, love story, you know. Pays off really well. Yeah. And, and a great performance, you know. All, well, great performances mm. all the way around. Yeah, we're happy with it. Well, let's move, uh, move forward. I... I lived in Lake Tahoe from 1974 through 80 so we weren't in touch a lot but when I came back or came down for might have even been this event I don't remember the exact chronology but you were playing with the Crusaders at the Hollywood Bowl this was Joe Sample Wilton Felder and Stick Super was still in the band I believe um, I mean we're talking like you know, these guys invented jazz rock in my book, and nobody better than Joe Sample. You know, I mean, not to just single out Joe, but come on, you know? So, and this was the Hollywood Bowl. This is the Grand Theater in Los Angeles, folks. Good 20,000 seats minimum, right? Right in that range. Yeah. And uh, I was in cheap seats, which were as good as any other seats, because I remember it as distinctly right now as the Sunday afternoon or evening, I believe. Or was it not a Sunday? Who knows? But it was, uh, I remember it as clear as if it was yesterday, mm -hmm. you know. So um, that was your break into the big time. And then you went out and traveled with these guys. You toured with them. And um, I know you have a pretty interesting story about one of your plane trips, earliest uh, oh, travels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, before I, before I get into that, yeah. I mean, how I got the gig was also yes. interesting. Good. My good friend, Rory Kaplan, who we mm. went to high school with, yeah, also true. same school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was working with Joe Sample, um, programming his keyboards, because he worked for a company that was providing yeah. the instruments to Joe. And he found out they were looking for a new guitarist. And so he asked me, called me if I'd uh, be interested in auditioning. And I said, uh, yes, of course. Yeah. So what I did was, and this was in the days where vinyl records were still the order of the day, late 70s. I went and bought their two most recent albums. And I learned three songs off of each of those, the ones I liked, just the ones that yeah. I liked the most. I learned those. And I went into the audition, and sure enough, they called those tunes and put the charts out in front of me, and I acted like I was reading them. Ah. I mean, I, I had some reading <laughs> skills, but I had the advantage of knowing these songs. Yeah. So, and when it came time for the, uh, the, the soloing improvisational sections where I got a solo, I was already familiar with it. So I just pretty much, you know, was comfortable. Well, by the time I got home, uh, 
they had called my answering machine and and hired me. Isn't that something? So I kind of, you know, like kind of rolled the dice in a kind of oh, yeah. get, you know, riverboat gambler fashion and, and got the gig. Now, that being said, I was very green. Um, my focus then was on, you know, soloing. I'd come out of like the, the, the straight ahead purist jazz where, you know, chops, really knowing how to play through changes was more the order of the day. How to support someone and play funky rhythms and do those little things were not my strength at the time. So I only lasted about six months with them before they had to let me go. And, and they were right to let me go. And I thank them for letting me go because it led to me uh, learning the value of how to support somebody and to go on to study that. And, um, you know, it served me well. So that being said, on to, you know, we were headed to our tour of Europe. And uh, these were in the days, it was 1979, it was the Crusaders' uh, Street Life album mm. with, uh, featuring Randy Crawford. Beautiful album. Great song. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, that was their pinnacle. Mm -hmm. It was their yes. pinnacle. So I, I came into that you know, thing at their peak. It's like, wow, okay, amazing. Um, but you know, our um, uh, travel stuff, the TSA, we had no TSA then. It was like, tour manager tells me, Okay, uh, if you want to drop your um, uh, drop your luggage off to me the night before, bring it there, and and then just come and walk and meet me at the gate. I'll have your boarding pass. <laughs> Think about that today. Yeah. No way. Won't happen. Right. So it was that. So I go, you know, to L.A. and we're flying to. We're gonna. Our destination is London via uh, New York, JFK. We're on American Airlines. We fly to New York, we get off, and now we're uh, walking through the terminal to make our connection. And it's looking weird, and I'm like, what is going on? This doesn't look right, you guys. And they go, oh, well, we're going to fly on the Concorde. And I, and I say, well, what's the Concorde? Yeah. Because <laughs> I was not very worldly at that well. point. I was 26 years old, you know, and hadn't been traveled too far yet. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, so... I board my uh, board that the Concorde and get in my seat and lo and behold here comes somebody walking right next to me sits right down next to me it's uh, Paul McCartney Paul McCartney Paul McCartney and his wife Linda and their two daughters go on yeah and their two daughters um, and um, uh, Ding! Yeah, you know, these things happen. We're, yeah. we're dealing with technology. Yeah. I, I think we're hearing this coming off of my... Off of the iMac. But if we're, we're actually but if we're But if we're not, I hope you leave it in the production because... I, because I don't it, edit. It's, it's very real. I like you know it. I don't know how to edit in the middle. Just yeah. the beginnings and ends. Yeah, so of course. Yeah, it's yeah. in the middle. It stays. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, 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 this whole flight, which was now, instead of six hours from New York to London, it's three hours because of the Concorde. Wow. Um, I, I'm conversing with Paul McCartney almost the entire way. So, you know, that's how my career starts. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really good. By the way, this is coming from a mutual friend of ours. Uh, some of our mutual friends know that I'm interviewing Mike today, and that's a big deal for most of our mutual friends and myself. That was one Steve Seinfeld. Oh. <laughs> mm. Also heard from one Jay Lefkowitz earlier today. So. Oh, nice. I think these guys got a heads up from you. Nice. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know... Um, 
That's an outrageously great story. Your first travel overseas as a professional musician, you're sharing the plane. You're not just sharing the plane. You're sitting next to Paul McCartney. Now, I can use explicit language on this show, and I'm thinking of it, and you probably know what I'm thinking, but that was Sir Paul McCartney. Yeah. I mean, my God. That's uh, welcome to showbiz. Yeah. You know? It was kind of numbing. I well, you know what though? I met. Hey, I'm going to drop it right now. I met Paul and Linda a little later on. Uh-huh. They were two very down-to-earth people for for their amount of success they, and everything they, they else. They are. They they yeah, are. Yeah, they were. And Linda, of course, was right. I got to hang out with Linda for a while, and uh, yes, she actually seemed interested in what I had to say, which kind of blew me away. I mean, I was just kind of, you know, waiting on her more or less. They were clients. But anyway, enough about my story. Let's go back to yours. So you're traveling with Paul McCartney. You're playing with Joe Sample and Wilton Filder, Stix Hooper, and who else is ever on these bills with you? Um, let's get past that gig. You've come home. You're wood shedding again. You're brushing up on, uh, on your rhythm skills, I suppose, on your backup skills, maybe sharpening your reading. That I really don't know that you needed to do that. But what I do know is the gigs that followed were all world-class, and it didn't take that long at all before you were right back in the center of all of this. So um, let's move from there. So, well, well, the next, the next move in, uh, was... Um a short, about a year, year and a half association with uh, the great saxophonist Ronnie Laws. Ronnie Laws. And, and the Laws family, Hubert as well. Right. I, I did some work with Hubert as well. And Ronnie, um, ironically, both the Laws were also from uh, where the <clears throat> Crusaders were from, Houston, Texas. Ah, so much great music from Texas. It has a certain kind of like uh, spice and flavor to it that's unique. And interestingly enough, a predecessor group to the Crusaders called the Swingsters. Swingsters. The Swingsters. And this is before they sort of crossed over to where they had that side of, you, as you uh, termed it, jazz uh, rock or whatever yeah. uh, kind of uh, jazz. They were more into straight ahead jazz early mm. on. And they had a sixth member by the name of Hubert Laws. Ooh. So here I was now, you know, in, 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 in dealing with more Houston, you know, yeah. except for Ronnie Laws had it. It was more like really in the gutter kind of funk grooves. So that really served me well at that point in, of my development as a, as a player in support. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was just it was a, it was a great gig. It was less. It was a it was a. A, a notch down in status, but but the reality of the assignment and the uh, the um, you know what I took from it was very solid. You know, I don't remember if I actually saw you with Ronnie Laws, but I saw you play with Ronnie Laws band at different times with those guys. Correct me if I'm wrong. We're talking about Bubba Bryant. Yes. Leon Johnson. Uh, yep. So. Barnaby Finn. Barnaby, of course. Yeah, yeah. All these guys then went on, and you played with them again with 
George, possibly, yeah, one Barnab- time or yeah, another. Right, Barnaby and, and Bubba Bryant both worked with George. Now, by the way, just uh, uh, we, uh, unfortunately, Bubba Bryant passed away last year. Bubba did? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. He, he was did. he was younger than us, was he not? Or in the same by a, age range? By a little maybe? bit. Same range. Yeah. Same range, but well, really sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, big loss. Condolences. For, yeah, we were we were we were close friends. It was a it was a, a bad loss. Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that for sure. And while you're calling down in the gutter, I'm just calling downright groove music. I mean, just some great grooves. And Ronnie Laws had a hit. It was, I can't think of the name of it, well, but he had we two. all he had two played them. Bi- two big hits. Which were? Always There. Always There. And Friends and Strangers. Friends and Strangers. Well, Always There, when I was like kind of doing the same, you know, like in your shadow and everybody else's, the shadow of Russ Freeman too, and all these other guys. Uh, that was definitely one of the songs I liked playing. Right. You know, it was always there, a fun tune to cover. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry to hear about Bubba, but man alive. I mean, you know, we are talking about some history here. Right. And again, we are talking about the R&B jazz world. Um, later on became the smooth jazz world. And it, we'll it, get to that as well. Yeah, it did. Know. But fortunately, I feel personally, I mean, that was like a lot of the, um, the, the way the business, uh, you know, template and format went um i feel i feel very uh, fortunate to have experienced it more in its earlier more pure uh, stages um i'll never forget i was still working with ronnie laws when i got the call uh from uh, my dear friend randy waldman who mm. is the musical director with uh, george benson at the time um asking me if i'd like to if I'd be interested in doing playing with George, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> you know, and I had been doing sessions with for, with Randy. Randy's a producer. Yeah, we could mention other names with Randy. And of we course, probably will later. We will, but, um, but nonetheless, um, so that, that blew me away, and I never had to audition for the gig. Geez. He just because he just played George these. Tapes. They were cassettes at in at that period. It was 1981. Yeah. Cassettes of current sessions we had done, and I got hired on the strength of those recordings. Um, I got hired to only play guitar, but when I uh, showed up for that first week of rehearsals, and I realized there was a lacking in the background vocal section, I said, "Hey, why don't you guys set me up a microphone?" And so. Uh, I've been singing backup vocals with George ever since. Yes. Right from the start, really. In fact, long before there was the technology available that you've had in the last and some of the more recent tours. Yeah. So. Well, I went through about a 10-year period where George kind of cut out uh, the one position in the band, which was a percussionist vocalist, which would have added... That would have been, with that format, it would have been two background singers, myself and the percussionist. When he removed the percussionist, it was only myself. So I, I uh, came up with a solution to, uh, you know, uh, using some technology to create, you know, three and four part harmonies and just myself. And, you know, it was a lot of work, but it was, I, I gained some, some real uh, capability by using this technology we now we're back to uh having the female vocalist oh, uh, percussionist and i'm and it's a relief <laughs> anybody that was with the band before or? no this uh, this is um uh this is uh 
Liliana de los Reyes, super talented. She's the daughter of Walfredo de los Reyes, oh, okay. who's, who's that's Junior, Walfredo Reyes Junior, yes. who's currently the drummer of Chicago. Before that, was percussionist with Chicago, but is played with so many others you know santana steve winwood let's on stop on. with steve winwood i've seen him play. oh god i can't tell you how many people i've seen walfredo play with mm -hmm. let alone been in the recording sessions with you and david garfield john leftwich and walfredo yeah at Manly, uh, way back when, an yeah. album these guys did together which if you're into jazz you got to check out toolbox Two CDs these guys did live with the legendary David Manley engineering. And I got to observe and phew, believe me, you're going to like it. Toolbox. Find it somewhere. Yeah. Interesting, <laughs> interesting stuff. Yeah. Pretty raw. Real, real music in real time. Mm, mm. Yeah. But... Um, but uh, current, uh, going back, there were some other great um, uh, women that occupied that position. Vicki Randall was the first one that was there when yeah. I worked with her. She went on to become, uh, have a long run with the um, with the um, Tonight Show with uh, on uh, with Leno with uh, Kevin Eubanks, yeah. and then uh, mm. you know with all them, um, and then fast forward, uh, Donnie Hathaway's second daughter, Kenya Hathaway with us in that position for a while um, mm -hmm. you know so there's been some real talent in that position and yeah it's, okay. helped, it's helped me out to raise my level as a vocalist because I'm singing backgrounds to George Benson and then you have like a Hathaway you know, the daughter <laughs> of Donnie Hathaway so yeah. you kind of got to raise your game to just hang in there you know oh well that's good I mean always good when you Got to raise your game a little bit. And I'm yeah. sure they raise their game to play with you, too. Hey, I'm going to mention a couple other things again, because we do go back so far. Stanley Banks, George's uh, bass player, has been with George. I first saw Stanley play with George in the mid to late 70s, before, before Mike joined the band. Uh, this was around the time of Breezen, a weekend in L.A. tour. And Stanley did this unique thing, still does, plays a tambourine with one of his two feet while he's playing bass. Man's got rhythm and soul for days. So meanwhile, you and Stanley have been with George ever since you joined, but who's the longest running member beyond you? Uh, it, it, well, uh, you mean besides... Besides you and Stanley. Because yeah, Stanley is the charter Well, of course, Stanley is yeah. a charter member. Yeah. Like I say, I saw him before... Yeah. You right. joined the band? Or, After yeah. me, well, Randy Waldman will be touring with us this year, and he yeah. precedes me. Oh, great. But, but, but he left the band, and um, uh, he left the band and, um, and, 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 had, and has been for, like, now for 25 years, he was a piano player with Barbara Streisand, which in 2016, 2017, he pulled me in to play guitar with Barbara. Right now, what? Who was that? What's her name? I, I'm sorry. Uh, Bar Barbara. <laughs> Barbara Streisand, the one and only. Possibly, it doesn't matter what kind of music you like, folks. Nobody sings better than Barbara Streisand. Period. End of story. As a road warrior, as a traveling musician, is there a better seat you could sit in? Oh my God! I mean, you and, know, um, no, and especially, and especially because, and and I think we're gonna 
you know maybe talk about this more yeah. as we as we evolve on this interview but especially because what i'm doing today um watching her being being uh, with her and watching her process um uh, as a uh, as a dynamic woman that she is and an egot uh, she's in the EGOT Club, which is not a, not everyone knows about this. It's E-G-O-T, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. All those awards. Um, you know, she's won all of them. It's a small club, as you can imagine. Yeah. But she's won a, uh, an Academy Award as a director for The Prince of Tides. Mm. Obviously, Grammys, Emmys, Tony Awards, uh, you know. So watching her work and 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 being a part of her process was really really great. Like a, a, a great education, along with just oh, yeah. you know enjoying the position. Uh, I would say, from at least the outside observer, never seen her live, haven't been to a sound check, but been listening to her as long as I can remember. She's a perfectionist, or at least comes across that way. That you. If you're not at the top of your game, you have no business being part of hers, and I'm sure it wouldn't last long if you weren't. Well, um, yeah, yeah. You, well, you got to at least be willing, and, and and that's that's what how it hit me in the beginning. And people, you know, people always ask the question about the quote unquote diva aspects of her. Is she, you know, people want to know that. And my viewpoint was never that, only because maybe it's because of. My path has led me to a place where I just want to always put my best foot forward, and 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 when I saw that what she was doing, I'm like, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. You know. Plus, uh, working with Barbara. Uh, I, well, for one, folks, a lot of you, I bet, have already seen the special she has on Netflix, which came out last year or this year. Yeah, November of 2017. Okay, so just over a year. Well, Michael's playing guitar on that. You'll see him in the guitar seat. You'll see Randy Waldman. We're talking about. He's leading the band, conducting yes, as well. Yes. Uh huh. And um, and of course, Barbara. I'm going to mention one other thing because I love dropping names. One of Barbara's only other guitar players in history is also one of my oldest friends and Michael's friend as well. We all went to school together, Dan Sawyer. And Dan played with Barbara on her last live album, which was recorded in the late 90s. And I bet Randy was on that as well, correct? I, I believe he was. Yeah, I, believe I think he was. he was also leading her band then. As... I don't think he was leading no, her band, no. but, but he was playing he was in the band okay yeah but uh yeah and, and dan being um a grade above me was a mentor and, a, and an influence of of me i hung out and you know benefited a lot he turned me on to a lot of let stuff. me clarify this grade above we're talking a year if we're not talking great pay wise or anything no, no, like no, that year. i just want to be that make that clear we're all about the same age. Mike was a year younger than me and Dan, who were in the same class. Right, so. right, yeah. Okay. But uh, but I hung out a lot with Dan and benefited greatly from it. It was interesting about him is, um, <clears throat> for me, what was kind of unique at the time, I had an experience, but he was the son of two school teachers. Yes. You know, so he, he was studious 
And he had this, yeah, he had like, a, as we both know, he played multi-instruments, yes. you know, guitar, keyboards, saxophone. Killer keyboards, killer saxophone. Yeah, all of it. Killer all flute. Of, all of it. Great B3. Anything, yeah. he, yeah. anything he sat down That's at. right. That's right. And uh, so Dan, you know, uh, I'm forever grateful to him. Yeah. You know? um, Dan also, like you say, the children of two school parents that were music fans, that house was full of traditional musical instruments. The exposure that he and his younger brother Ken had to music was phenomenal. So, um, yeah, like I say, we all go back to, or, you know, 15, 16 years old. Right. And I just had contact with Dan today, so we're still friends as well. Excellent. I was actually his best man, so we'll get back to that. So we were pretty close. I saw him um, last, um, funny enough, full circle, um, last year at the NAMM show. Wow. uh, The Barbara Streisand rhythm section was playing for uh, this company called Mighty Bright, which is uh, Music Stand Lights. Yeah, yeah. And Dan was there, you know, right there to catch it, you know. It was like it was it, it, it was just a good feeling i've actually seen footage of both of you guys from nam last year i've seen dan playing in like uh, just kind of a six-man five or six-man jazz setup and i saw you playing with michael mcdonald so oh, okay yeah. not too shabby yeah that was know? in the yamaha show yeah which uh which i've <clears throat> i should probably mention that because you segue to that yeah is my affiliation with yamaha endorsing their instruments for 20 years um has afforded me amazing experiences like kind of like for a, a 10 years straight running there were two like two corporate shows per year one in the NAM show period, and then one in the spring with um, uh, Nathan East, Mm. great bass player, was the musical director. We had an all-star band that would back up, you know, eight to ten artists uh, in a show, you know, and it's like uh, I ended up playing with everybody that you can kind of imagine, uh, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, uh, Al Green, Melissa Etheridge, you know, Sarah McLaughlin, Michael McDonald a number of times, Earth, Wind, Fire, on and on and on. <clears throat> and because Yamaha's headquarters in the U.S. is based in Nashville, they always had some country artists, too. So Vince Gill, um, Brad Paisley, um, Naomi Judd. I'm just saying, it's just like across the board, like who's who. uh, Incredible experiences there. Yeah, and uh, nerd that I am, let me just mention Nathan East. I'll mention two names to go with Nathan East, besides Greg Fillingames, partner of his for a lot of things. But Michael Jackson and Eric Clapton. Okay, let's move on. Okay, beautiful. (laughs) Well, I should probably... uh, you know, continue where we where we were before, as far as like the uh, the the path and the progression, yeah, yeah, career wise after okay. the Laws family and all that, and then sure. getting the gig with George. And George is, of course, my my biggest number one influence in in my entire career. We've become like he's like my big brother. I mean, yeah. he's, I mean, we we have such a great friendship and uh, you know mutually supportive situation he's brought me in to uh, work with him on projects you know great stuff but but also during the period of time he's allowed me space and freedom to to uh to find my own voice as a musician you know he's he's only asked 
you know, particular things of me that were essential to any given song. Outside of that, he's allowed me to find myself in there. And so, uh, you know, his philosophy is, is, is one like that, that he learned from his mentors before. <clears throat> you know, it's, it, and it's priceless. It's a priceless thing to have. Also, during that, I've, I've been able to, at certain for certain runs, is when I wasn't working with him, is be able to, you know, pinch myself like I had a couple year run where I was bouncing between George and Stevie Wonder. Yeah, well, of course, you know, dying to get to Stevie, you know, talk about Stevie, anything to do with Stevie Wonder. You know? <laughs> so, so let's get to that point. You actually, yeah, let's tell me about how you how that gig came about. Oh, that was that was crazy. My friend, dear friend Ronnie Foster, who was in okay. George's original classic Absolutely. band, was good friends with Stevie. Um, Stevie asked him to put a band together, uh, so we we rehearsed for two consecutive weeks at uh, Stevie's facility, uh, Wonderland, and only to find out at the tail end that he was really only trying to replace four positions. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of bizarre situation anyway i was uh he uh, i did end up getting one of the positions he was trying to fulfill one of the guitarists and uh the others were drums ricky lawson who is now deceased mm. unfortunately ricky? yeah oh yeah, yeah i guess i did hear that yeah, ricky lawson sorry um, to hear that then uh ronnie foster on keyboards and lenny castro on percussion those were the positions that he was actually trying to fulfill uh, fulfill so i was able to get that position and go back and forth like you know I, I i was still working with george for those couple of years i was working with stevie but you know got to do both yeah well you know again just we're talking about the finest singer songwriter musicians on the planet you know any generation and every generation no one better anyhow um well, let's see. Now, let's change, let's change directions musically for a minute. Tell me about working with Ricky Lee Jones, because oh. Ricky Lee Jones, I would have to call a unique artist, no doubt, but comes from a whole other school, you know, a whole other school. I mean, the Tom Waits, uh, Joni, well, Joni Mitchell influence maybe, but... Yeah, so let's talk e about that. Eclectic. Um, very eclectic. Very eclectic. Very Artiste. eclectic. Singer, songwriter. Yeah, you know, those kind of people yeah. wear berets well. Yes. You know, <laughs> but yes, that experience was amazing because it was, uh, it, I had um, become friends with the great guitarist Robin Ford. Mm, I, I had worked on a prior record with of his. Well, first of all, I should uh, uh, proceed that by saying, I actually did a recording session with him with the Yellow Jackets. Mm. It was an experimental thing. It never was released, but I was playing um, nylon string guitar on a session with them and met, uh, met Robin that way. And he found out about a synthesizer guitar I had at the time and was, just, was uh, intrigued. So he actually called me to see if I would bring it and program it for him for a recording session of, of he was doing his own album. And so I did. And um, it worked out nice. We became friends. So when uh, they were recording Ricky Lee Jones' album, Pop Pop, which was a very much a, like, you know, very organic, acoustic-type album. Yeah. You know, uh, 
departure album for Ricky Lee Departure. Jones. She was doing standards for the standards, first time. Standards, very much American songbook. Yes, you know, yes. all acoustically. Yes, and but very much. I mean, she had her tra- stamp and trademark on all of it. So yeah, yeah. But okay. so what happened was, is they were, they had uh, the studio up in Topanga Skyline uh, blocked out for weeks, um, doing the album, and um, so they had a. They were going to go do a um, promotional television show in Italy, that Robin couldn't make, so he Robin recommended me to do it. I agreed to do it, and I learned the material, and so I was on, I drove out to the studio, they were going to just take three hours for a rehearsal, you know, in between the recording, and this was before cell phones, right? Um, as I was on my way out there, they had left a message on my machine that the trip to Italy had been canceled. <laughs> so I get there. And she's there, and you know, I meet her in person for the first time. I'd spoken to her on the phone one time, and they're so they're waiting for Freddie Hubbard, the great trumpet Ooh. player, to show up to play a solo on the record, right? Well, Freddie never shows up. In the meantime, Ricky is like, you know, she has her acoustic guitar, and she's telling me, "Hey, um, check this out. I'm thinking of putting this on the album," and she plays uh, the Jimi Hendrix song uh, "Voodoo Child." And what was really odd is that it's the first time I ever met her, and she's asking me what I think about it, which is really, really not typical. Yeah, you know? yeah. But 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 kind of ind- indicates like a certain openness and spontaneity as an artist, you know. So she asked me, and I go, "Well, I think it's the wrong song." And she's like, "Wow, really?" And I go, "Yeah, I know a better Hendrix song that'll fit your project better." And she goes, "Wow, what's that?" And I go, "Well, from." The album uh, Axis Bold as Love, there's a song called Up From the Skies, which is like a swing kind of thing, and it, it will fit much better with your, uh, with your project. So we go, uh, we, uh, we're teaching her the song, give her the first couple verses and everything, and we can't remember the lyrics to the third verse, so Robin Ford calls his wife to pull out the vinyl album and liner notes to get the last verse. So we get those. A half an hour later, uh, Ricky, um, Robin Ford, John Leftwich on bass, and myself had just cut Up From The Skies, which became her single and the video for her pop-pop record. Right. Well, you know what? I've loved that track since the first time I heard it. Um, I've got my own Robin Ford stories, and we're going to get into that at some point. Maybe we'll talk about that while you listen to Up From the Skies by Ricky Lee Jones. Tell me everything. just want to talk to you I won't do you no harm I just want to know about your different lives on this here people farm I hear some of you have families living in cages tall and cold some just sit there and dust away past the age of old is this true? Please let me talk to you. I just wanna know the rooms behind you. 
your mind Or do I see a vacuum there Or am I going blind Or is it just remains of vibrations That have happened long ago Things like love the world And let your fancy flow Is this true? Please let me talk to you Is this true? I just wanna talk to you I had lived here before Oh, in the days of ice So of course this is why I'm so concerned About the earth Cause I came back to find the Stars are misplaced And the smell of a world that's burned And the smell of a world that's burned Uh, it was that multiple takes. How long did it take you to lay that down? One take. Uno. One take, Uno. folks. There it is. All there of, it all is. of us together. Yes. No overdubs. Well, you're talking about world class players, but what a track. One take. Well, I love it. What's interesting too is that it it, it, it when it when it went on to become the single in the video, and in uh, when she did this big jazz is magazine interview. In the very in the very front of the interview, where you you know you'll have like the big the full spread page and the big print. Yeah, my name was in the big print. She was talking about the process of how I made her aware of the song, the whole thing. It's yeah. like yeah, she mentions it. It was like crazy. That is crazy. And, and so you know, I guess that's I got one more question then. She wasn't a Hendrix fan. I mean, she didn't already have a worn-out version of Axis Bold as Love as we all did. Say, I'm not sure to what extent, but obviously she was going to. She was thinking of doing Voodoo Child. Yeah, so, so she had an awareness. Fan enough. Yeah. Fan enough. Yeah. So, but I don't think she was familiar with uh, with that song, or probably not much that album, because yeah. you know that album. A lot of people look at Are You Experienced as their first run. I that wasn't my introduction to jimmy axis was i actually came in there and for me that is what i call the album yeah a lot of people do and it's easy to tell i mean i'll just say little wing spanish castle magic yeah up from the sky if six was nine if six was i mean 
classics. I started at the beginning. It was Are You Experienced? Yeah. And the first time I heard it was an experience. I mean, it yeah, really of course, was. Of course. But for me, they're all the same. I love the, the Electric Lady Land. In fact, Voodoo Child. They, they, sweet uh, Voodoo Child, Slight Return. Forget it. Yeah. Forget yep. it. You know, yep. it's the epitome of rock and roll blues for my mm -hmm. for my money absolutely but it all all of it all of it any of it and all of it okay let's take another left turn here so get ready to make a big turn because you also got to play travel and perform at the white house with the late great natalie cole so tell us a little about natalie yeah yeah again uh, you know, royalty, music, music yes. business royalty. You know, <clears throat> um, and um, uh, Natalie again as 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 a testament to my relationship with George. I was working, still working with George, and and working with uh, <clears throat> Natalie in in between the holes, and he was so supportive of all that. You know, uh, let me let me mention this too. Natalie Cole had a variety of things in her career started out as kind of an r&b pop diva of course always you know lived in the shadow of her great father nat king cole but uh boy did she rise above that you know as far as coming out of the shadows but she did so many things towards the end of her life which ended too short um she did a lot of big band and swing music and maybe it was it was longer than that. I mean, she obviously had a hit with the electronic hit with her father, singing "Unforgettable" years before that. But she took big band and swings somewhere that most singers and musicians couldn't go. I've heard her and maybe Diane Reeves in the last generation of artists. That for me, you know, now I haven't seen them all, so you know, I'm not that knowledgeable. But Natalie was priceless priceless in that field no one i'd rather see well absolutely but but not <clears throat> excuse me not only the big band but also you know orchestral symphonic oh, okay. backing all of that because in 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 working with her her um we'll call it her book of music yeah is two books i mean whereas most artists will have one it's like two big books of music wow and one thing you could count on on every single Natalie Cole show is you'd get, it'd be about 40 minutes before showtime is when you'd get that set list for that show. So you could go out to your book and assemble, pull out the right charts. And every single time without fail, there'd be a couple of tunes that you have never, ever played. Wow. <laughs> Just to keep it fresh, keep everyone on their toes. Yeah, you just have to, and I'd be, I'd be, oh my God, I, I had to take those charts to the dressing room with my guitar and scramble, get some kind of familiarity with them before we got on stage. So that was a wonderful experience, you know, like a, that's an old school experience, you know, um, <clears throat> the way they did it back then. But uh, yeah, Natalie and I had a great rapport. We, we hit it off really well. And, um, uh, I remember just being like kind of like a feeling a, a, a surreal a surreal feeling every time we do unforgettable and I'd hear Nat's voice coming mm. out of my monitor I'm like oh my god I'm playing with Nat King Cole and his daughter right now it's like Jeez. it was it was so amazing but you know um as you said her 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 life ended too early 
and I'll never forget um, the day we were in up in Seattle. We had done a, a show, and her tour manager came into the dressing room and, and told us that uh, Natalie's going to have to shut it down for a while because she's got to go in. <clears throat> she's getting a kidney transplant. So she did that. Some months went by, and they get in touch again, and it's like, okay, Natalie is ready to come back out. So they booked this big, huge comeback show at the Hollywood Bowl with full orchestra, big band, choir, I mean, extravaganza. But she wanted to put her toe in the water first, so we did a, a, a club show, a beautiful nightclub in San Diego, you know, two sets, you know, but very intimate, just the quartet. So she could get, you know, see how she felt. Yeah. And that went well. And that was a unique show because it was just the quartet, okay. you know. Um, but, but uh, you know, go back to the Hollywood Bowl gig. She hit it out of the park. It, was, it, it went wonderfully. She lasted from there, <clears throat> pardon me, um, another three, four years, five years maybe. Um, I was not working with her anymore because I never joined her band as the first call because I was, you know, George was always my first yeah. priority. But uh, I did do some stretches where I was the regular guy for quite a while. But um, at this point, I remember um, uh, we were on a show together. She opened for us. And I went and had a quiet moment with her in her dressing room. Uh, you know, uh, in between, uh, her set was done and we had were getting ready to go on. And I could see so much of the life had gone out of her it was, it was really 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 sad and but i mean you know i i, I was i was really blessed to yeah. be a part of her her world well i'm just gonna say the one time i got to meet her with you was in reno i believe at the reno hilton i'm pretty sure yes. it was yes i'm grateful for it it was a show i'll always remember and uh yeah she was absolutely one of a kind yeah, so, yeah thanks she, for sharing that for yeah, sure yeah she was but you know uh, and also you know i mean kind of to segue off that into you know the relationship with george so many things bounce off of that because the affiliation with al Jarreau. Mm. even though years before i had been called to work with al I, I i couldn't do it at the time i wasn't available but now uh george and al uh, were recording this uh album giving it up a joint project on concord records right beautiful album by the way folks a fantastic album yeah a lot of great stuff on there best damn cover but, of tutu since miles recorded yeah, it but so. what happened there is we were they were had a lot of the album done most of it actually and uh, i was on tour with george we were in france we had played in this place called vienne the closest big city is Lyon, and we got uh, an email in from the record company asking george and i to go into the studio to for the title track giving it up for george to do his vocals and a guitar solo and for me to put rhythm guitar on it so the local promoters set up a studio for us which was about an hour and a half away out into the mountainsides in the actual town of Beaujolais. Beaujolais. Wine. <laughs> Wine country in the middle of it. So we're out there at this like oui, oui. amazing studio out there, and we're waiting for all the files to come in, you know, and it's, 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 it's slow. Their connection, their internet connection is slow. So, 
you know, these people are from a local Vinter uh, brings their their fine wine over, and you know, you know, uh. we're hanging out. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we we finally get all the files in, and George is out there on the microphone, and I'm in the in the uh, booth with the engineer. Basically, I produce George's vocals. You know, I'm uncredited for doing it, but that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. and there's one other little thing yeah, you can well, mention so, if you want. So, yeah, so we get that done. Now, he comes into the booth. I put on my two rhythm guitar parts, and I'm, I'm sitting there in the studio holding my guitar. And I go, okay, George, you ready for your solo? I go, he goes, yeah, man. I go, uh, well, your guitar's right over there. Let me go get it for you. He goes, wait a minute, brother. Let me let me see your guitar. So he puts my guitar on. The difference between it is is like you know his it's a it's a jazz hollow body arch top with thicker strings. Yeah. By the way, with his name right on it. Well, his his model G, G, the GB line. Um, Ibanez. Ibanez. Yeah. yeah Ibanez. Um, but um, uh, so my and the kind of guitar I had was a solid body guitar with lighter strings, not super light, but light enough to be bending and yeah. you know, and so. George goes ahead and he plays, it takes a take on my guitar. And he's doing some bending and it's like a little funky. It's like, but man, it's still George and it is yeah. like nasty. It's nasty. Mm. And so he finishes it and like, I'm, I'm like, wow. And I go, well, George, you want to do another one just in case? He goes, oh no, brother. <laughs> and, I, and I go, really? Why? He goes, because they'll choose the wrong one. <laughs> But you know, in that, that, that's very entertaining. But in that lesson, I learned a huge lesson is that, and I, and I never forget this, is that, you know, that's an area where he could have control over what he puts out into the world of his own work. Yeah. And I never forgot that because we as artists, you know, sometimes artists can get a little lazy and like, oh, well, you take care of that and you take care of that. And, but, not to, you know, do this to the point of being a control freak, but but have enough, you know, awareness of, of what you're putting out into the world. And it's important what decisions you make. Oh, yeah. Well, it must be nice also to know that you can just give them one take and they're going to keep it. Well, they, ha they have to. I mean, it's George Benson. They have you know? no choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're giving them no choice. Me, they might say, well, we know another guitar player. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I have had that happen. So, you know, who hasn't, though? Right. Anyway, okay, well, awesome. Well, you, we touched, brief, briefly touched on Al. And um, so, here, we're going to talk a little more. Um, Mike's showing me a couple brief little things, but yeah, well, while we're on the subject of producing and working with George in the studio, let's get down to um, a couple other things that you helped pr produce, you did produce or co-produce, and one would be Don't Let Me Be Lonely Tonight, James Taylor song. I believe James wrote it, right? Beautiful track, and uh, tell us how that came about. <laughs> uh, well, another shocking development i i uh, we were on tour in brazil and i had just finished my um cd funky fiesta mm. my recording and at the beginning of the tour i'd given george one to listen to and uh, so here we're a week and a half into the tour or whatever and we and i'm out sitting out by the pool at one of the hotels and and here comes george walking up to me and he says says brother 
when we get to Sao Paulo, we got them three days off. I'm going into the studio with some of the finest musicians over here, and I want you to help me produce this. And I'm, my jaw drops. I'm like, you want what? Yeah, in Brazil. In Brazil. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow. So, man. So I ended up you know, spending three days in the studio with these f amazing musicians in George. And, um, you know, it, was, it, it, was, it took a little bit of getting used to being behind the glass with the engineer at times like telling george what to do it's like yeah this guy is like a hall of famer and yeah. so i he also I, trusted you to be in that position he, he did too, but still you know? it was a little awkward in the beginning for me yeah. I, I i got i realized though early on that hey you know what he asked you to do it so that's just, right just go straight on and, and do i it. don't think he wanted you to kiss his butt he wanted you to Make him make a good record, right? You know, get yes, a good yeah. performance, on right? Him. And so, and so, the morning I'll never forget. Uh, George is not the best morning person, you know, in yeah. terms of being vocally ready. Um, so, um, I had written up a chart for the band, um, who was uh, led by Toninho Orta, an amazing Brazilian uh, artist, and to his uh, in his own right, uh, a beautiful guitarist, you know. Uh, let me ask you a quick question. I remember seeing some footage of this uh, on YouTube. Was that personal footage? Was that record company footage? Is that available still? Or how did I even see it? I don't know. Oh, no, I think it's of the single uh, because because the the the, the, the songs only two songs from these Brazilian sessions made it to his songs and stories album. It was. The cherry picked two songs. They uh, don't let me be lonely tonight and Salem. Mm. All the other ones are still out there, and my, I got my fingers crossed. Maybe one day they see the light of day too, because there's some other really great material nice. from those sessions. But this morning, you know, I had, I'd written out these charts, and the, the musicians kind of we worked it out, cleaned up everything, and now time for a take. They do a take. And so, we, you know, traditionally we have the musicians come into the booth so they can hear what what's happening. So I have them come in, and, and I loved the take. They come in, and George comes in and goes, oh, man, brother, man, I can't sing right now, man, it's too early. And I tell him, George, I wish I couldn't sing like that. Nah. <laughs> I said, I think you better come over here and sit down and listen to this. He never sang it again. Wow. What happened was, is because his voice was a little gruff at that point, and because of the way that he approached it real soulfully, yeah, and it had a Ray Charles factor in it, mm. which to me I had really quite hadn't quite heard from George before, and I felt like, man, this you just got something really unique and special for you here. I think you really need to leave this alone, and he did. And it works. And songs and stories of CD. I, I don't remember exactly. I've I own that CD. Is that the first track on it? I'm pretty sure it is. is I it not? don't know. Yeah, I can't I, I, it doesn't really matter. But it's a it's a great album. It's a great song. Any James Taylor fans got to know that song. And by the way, the 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 album itself was nominated for a Grammy in um, the uh, surround sound category. There you go. And so is your name listed in that group, or is that a strictly an engineering well, no, type I have, award? No, I have, I have a, 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 I have a, a document from the Grammy Foundation in, in a frame on my wall. 
uh, you know. That's, you can't like, uh, I mean, that's something to like a lot. Well, you guys also did a track with with George, or you worked with George on a track for jazz, uh, for a Disney jazz album. Let's hear a little about that. Yeah, it's it, it was on, it's, it's called Jazz Loves Disney Volume 2. Okay. So um, it's a collection, a compilation of artists, jazz artists, that each are doing a rendition of the idea is of, uh, Disney tunes that are connected to their movies, okay. but doing jazzy versions of them. So the story there was a couple summers ago, two, three summers ago, <clears throat> we were on tour, and um, Randy Waldman was touring with us, and a record company got in touch with him and saying, you, you need to take George in the studio to do some vocals and guitar for this song, uh, from the movie Tarzan, you know, you, uh, by Phil Collins, You'll Be In My Heart. And um, George had prior tried to sing it in the studio back in Arizona where he lives before he went on tour, and, and the key wasn't working for him. Mm. He couldn't, he couldn't uh, deliver in that key. So Randy Waldman came to me because he knew I had my mobile recording studio with me, laptop-driven, Logic, you yeah. know, and and whatnot, and he said, "You want to let let's see let's see if th- we can make this work." So, uh, Randy and George and I all got together, in George uh, twice in George's hotel room, and we re- laid down. We had George lay down the guitar, his guitar stuff. In the in the in, and George, uh, Randy and I had done some programming, added some stuff. We had already had, they already had the track cut <clears throat> along with an orchestra too. But Randy and I added some sweetening. And then I had that, I was in my room one night, and and I was thinking, you know, they originally uh, had asked for vocals. And I thought, well, let me try. I saw, I started to, I sang the choruses and layered my own voice a few times on the choruses. And then the next time we got together with George, I said, George, check this out. What do you think? He goes, that's great, brother. I'll just put my voice on with you. So we got, uh, uh, Randy and I are co-producers of, uh, of George's work on that's, that. That's awesome, too. Well, now that we are talking a bit about Randy, uh, Randy Waldman, you also played on his album called Superheroes. Is yeah. that right? And by yeah. the way, folks, you're going to get to hear a bunch of this music before this show is over. We'll be intermingling, uh, intermingling it. I'll probably put a set together uh, once the conversation takes a break and um but let's get back to this a little about randy because this again we're going to take another left turn but not too big a turn for you guys because this is jazz this is really some fine fine playing on this record so why don't you tell us a little about this session yeah randy well first of all randy i've guessed it on a couple of his other prior jazz cds he always he always in a very clever way uh, has a theme like to his albums movie themes you know television themes you know and in this case it was themes from a combination of television and film of superhero films mm. right so and and it has a cast of I mean some of the amazing most amazing jazz musicians on the planet today mm. cool. you know I'm one of two guitarists on it. The other would be George Benson. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. 
Now the trumpet, the trumpet guess yeah. is insane. You got Winton Marsalis, Arturo Sandoval, Randy Brecker, and Europe's finest Till Broner, who's a German. He's an amazing trumpet. In the sax section, you got um, you've got um, Joe Lovano, you've got uh, Chris Potter, and you've got uh, Eddie Daniel, who also plays. He's renowned on the clarinet. He's a New York yeah. session guy. Okay. Fantastic. You've got, um, I mean, you got uh, as a, in the core band. You got Vinnie Caliuta on Ooh. drums. Okay. You got Carlitos del Puerto on bass, who um, whose father was a luminary uh, out of the Cuban musician scene. He was in the band called Iraquire, mm. very famous band there. And Carlitos has taken L.A. by storm. Plays great upright and electric, and, and worked with Randy and I with uh, Barbara on oh, the tours. Oh, cool. As well. Okay, good to know. Yeah, and then uh, and uh, so yeah, Carlitos, Randy, I mean Carlitos, Vinny, Randy, myself, and Rafael Padilla on percussion. A great Cuban percussionist. Oh boy. Kind of on oh, little keyboard player by the name of Chick Corea. Heard of him too. Yeah. Heard of him too. Another drummer by the name of Steve Gad. Heard of him too. Well, you know, Gad and Vinny on the same record, on the same Forget song. It. On the same song. Yeah. No way. <laughs> the best folks yeah. didn't get better than those two guys. They got the not just two coasts covered. They got the world covered. Yeah, pretty much. Um, God, you you know, again, no tangents on my side. But I saw you play with Vinny way back in the early '80s. It was all club dates. And uh, those guys and other names we've just mentioned, we don't need to really go there, but I got to say, I'll never forget those days and oh, no. loved the hell out of them. And Vinny is still the man oh, in my book. In oh, my he's book, he's in his own category. Yes, he's, he is. He's in his own category. And so the track I, I was, as I say, I was part of the, 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 the main core uh, band supporting all the other artists on there, but I managed to get a featured spot on the Superheroes record myself. I'm featured on the Batman movie theme. Well, there you go. And this isn't the uh, Batman TV show theme. I must well, they, make that perfectly clear. But he has that on the. Album That's on there as well. As well? Yeah. Okay, because I kept waiting to hear it. You know, in your track. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. But what I did hear was some pretty amazing blowing. You know, all the way around. Um, and brilliant piano work, you know, to say the least. Absolutely. So, well, hey, let's get something to a little more of your own productions. And, uh, of course, how many solo albums have you actually put out in your name, just your name, Michael O'Neill at this point? Around six. Around, six. Around six. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the one of the most recent ones was with a, uh, a newfound partner who, for me, is is a uh, you know as a producer and a writer you're always in search of a golden voice right and I found one in the my new partner Amin L. I kind of explain to people I describe it as if Nat King Cole and Luther Vandross were together mm. that's kind of what his voice is he's got ah. that that beautiful um, yeah. uh, uh, baritone range and the soulfulness I'll go one further I'll add anybody that ever sang the blues in there as well because I'm hearing all kinds of gritty soul in that man's voice yeah you know um, and 
you know, again, I've listened at one point or another to most everything Mike's done in his professional career. There's some songs on this that once you hear them, you're not, they're just not going to leave your head. It's too late? Is that the, tra- let, or Let It All Go? Let It All Go, and that's the album title. And, 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 and that's where, that was the first thing we wrote together. And it, and it kind of set the stage for what's a special relationship, writing a, a relationship together, is that very topical and, and important topics of the day. Let It All Go uh, indirectly deals with uh, income inequality. We have some other tunes that deal with the environment. Some other ones that have to do with mass incarceration. We we care passionately about the world we live in, and so we like to write about it. And you have no problem speaking truth to power in your music. I right. mean, I would say, you right. know, and without ever hearing a derogatory word, this is all artistry. You know, no, you're not depending or leaning on anything from street language to whatever. I mean, just telling it how it is. Right. And uh, quite brilliant and quite emotional and moving. Like I say, it sticks with you. Uh, let's get back to, we both got a, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the late, great Carl Anderson. I met Carl when he was part of Jesus Christ Superstar. Carl was Judas, by the way, folks. And that voice is what carried that show, along with Ted Neely, of course, who was a family friend. So whenever they were touring and they'd come through and Carl and Ted worked together for decades, I would say, um, we got to meet him, you know, or hang with him a little. But you got to do more than that. You've recorded with Carl. Carl's on one of your solo albums or, you know, Michael O'Neill album and covering one of your bosses. Great songs, you know, Mm -hmm. visions. Mm -hmm. And one thing has nothing to do with the other. But let's hear a little about that. And by the way, you are going to be hearing, if you haven't already, because we're going to stop right now to play It's Too Late. And never it, too late. Never too late. Which, what, which... See, this is what, what happens when I'm looking at notes, because I'll confuse them. But okay, go on. Never Too Late is one of Mike's instrumentals, and that's the album that Visions with Carl Anderson comes from. Um let it all go is the album with amin l and they're both completely different kinds of records the the most common link here is this is all michael o'neill no matter what you're going to hear if it's jazz if it's a national steel guitar an acoustic a nylon or electric guitar it's all mike and it's all from the heart and it's all played through incredible soul and mastery so you know, hey, I don't want to gush for my buddy oh. any more than that. Oh, I but, appreciate um, it. So let's see. So then just to, if I might mention that yes. from the Never Too Late album, as you said, that's right, the visions come from that album. Yeah, yeah. The Never Too Late uh, uh, song itself <clears throat> was done with Greg Karukas, ah, okay. another good uh, you know uh, partner of mine, a great producer and writer himself. And um, uh, it's my most successful, best-selling instrumental song i've ever done which is saying a lot i mean so that song has kind of become a bit of a staple of smooth jazz radio and that type of format and those collections it's gone the furthest in 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 that format of any of my uh music yeah well that's great you know really good to hear yeah um but the but but back to carl yes 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 carl uh, you know, he, working with him was like another huge blessing. He was a rare bird because 
he had these this like um combination of um like no other he he had theatrical capabilities like acting skills mm. as we know um so when we'd be doing even a club gig you know local clubs he would have these like ways of engaging an audience through his acting skills where he was like you know the monitor would be there and he'd put his foot up on the on the on the monitor speaker and like look down at people like they're in his living room or something yeah he just had a way it was very captivating and then that coupled with his elegant uh singing style but also very gritty and street mm. you know funky and soulful too <clears throat> he just as a package was an incredible guy and it uh we lost him too early ah, as well absolutely. to leukemia but the last few years three four years of his life he took up oil painting Did he really? and was damn good at it oh. I, as a matter of fact i have a print of one of his pieces in my studio oh man you gotta share it with us sometime you know or i've got to see it and maybe yeah, we that, can put a picture of it up or something yeah yeah i bought i'm that. not surprised in the least even though it's the first time i heard that yeah just because usually if you're so gifted or skilled at one craft or one art you're usually going to be pretty good at whatever art you apply yourself to yeah, whatever yeah. craft you yeah. apply yourself yeah, it to. can happen he, he he did it but the day he came over to my studio to see yeah. visions was interesting yeah i had worked with him a lot in town we did a lot of stuff together so i did what i like to do be prepared for when he came over i didn't want to waste his time you know he's yeah. like he's like the great carl anderson sure. you know i want to be ready so i have my microphone set up i have the track all dialed up everything's ready to go he, he gets over to my house he goes hey man you got any coffee so I make us some cappuccinos. And we go out onto this big porch where I used to live. And he brings these cigars. So we're out on the porch for three hours. Really? So, you know, here I was one, not wanting to waste his time. Yeah. But, but here we were, you know, telling each other our life stories. Enjoying coffee and these cigars. I don't, you know, I can't. I can't smoke cigars, but <laughs> I faked it. But nonetheless, I mean, it, it, it was really brilliant the way it happened because it, it really brought us into a, a, created an incredible intimate vibe together. And then we wandered in the studio and 10 minutes later, the thing was done. Wow. He just like went bam. You know what, folks? Let's just give it a listen right now. This is Stevie Wonder's Visions performed by Michael O'Neill and the late, great Carl Anderson. <laughs>
shades of green They only change to brown When autumn comes around I know just what I say Today's not yesterday All things have an end That is one beautiful track. Who else played on Visions, Mike? Well, it features the great Bobby Lyle on Fender mm. Rhodes. Fantastic keyboard player. Yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. And then my dear friend Alfonso Johnson on the bass, who's another you know monster. And matter of fact, legendary. I had the pleasure of working on his most recent work, an album called Metaphors. Yeah, and I played almost on all of it. Uh, he came to my studio and helped me and had me help him with some of the production and give him a lot of input. So, you know, we're, we're dear friends, and, and that was a huge honor. That's great. I mean, I, I still haven't heard that one, I don't think. I'm looking forward to it. Great album. Hey, well, let's get a little more to the uh, commercial or pop world where, where the big bucks are. 
Uh, I know you recently did something with uh, Tony Braxton and Colby Calais or Calais. I'm not probably not even saying the girl's name. Calais, you said it right. Oh, good, good, yeah. good. Yeah. So yeah, let's hear a little about that one. Well, How'd that, that come about? well, that was uh, that was a real pleasure. That was done at um, you know she's been uh, under the umbrella of Babyface's Productions mm. forever. Okay. So it was at his studios, and um, it's a song called My Heart. Which kind of reminded me, it almost seemed like they wanted to kind of do a follow-up to Unbreak My Heart, which was her oh. biggest hit ever. Oh, okay. You know, and it featured, so I'm, I'm the featured uh, Spanish guitar soloist on the track. So, you know, when I did my work and went into the, and, and I was, as I was listening, I mean, this woman's voice just sent chills up my spine. She's so passionate and sexy sounding mm. her voice she's got this like chesty range that's just like oh my god you know i so. wouldn't doubt if her looks get in her way because she's so good looking that you know the, you might pass overlook the talent sometimes i mean i i didn't overlook the talent good well i'm just saying so good know. so good okay yeah yeah please don't take offense people <laughs> um Okay, well, hey, so one of so many pop things you've also recorded with your very own daughter. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, yeah, Mike covers so many generations. So let's get to Michael O'Neill, the film composer, TV producer, composer, and um, and boy, oh boy, movie premiere tonight coming up. So let's let's talk a little about this stuff. And I'll just let you start anywhere you like, as far as as far as film composition, TV. Right. Go. Well, well, first, <laughs> well, first of all, um, I was bound to land there because <clears throat> I've been uh, an obsessive film goer for most of my life. I'll I agree always, that you are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I always like that experience of when the lights go out. I got my popcorn and my beverage, and it just takes me somewhere else. Yeah. How you get the time or take the time to do all this is beyond me. How you can get all this done, and you do. So it's so amazing. A lot of alone time. <laughs> yeah. But you make the best of it. Yeah. So. But uh, so my, my, the, uh, uh, an old friend of mine had been a, a television composer for many, many years, you know, like three decades. And um, I met with him, and I, um, as I had an interest of wanting to do this, uh, to play some of my stuff, and a few months later, he called me up and asked me if I'd like to, uh, you know, uh, work on a television show, do uh, do some music for him. And so he opened the door for me for for doing that, and 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 really kind of taught me the ropes about how to how to get these music cues. You know, they're like one to two minute pieces mm. of music that have to be complete. They have to have a a beginning, a middle, and an end, and tell a story within that a lot of time. So there's a way to do it, you know. But nonetheless. Uh, after that, uh, you know, going into that, segue to now, I have my music on over 40 te television series. 40 television series? Yes. And with, well, God, the way that is today, that means, how many of those are available online through their own websites, the network's well, websites? Well, I, well so probably which, all of them. Probably all of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Which means that this can be like 24-7 of... It can be, it you can know. be, yeah. A lot of these are like reality TV. That's hey, been a, that's a, a big boom. And, you know, I mean, if you're getting paid for it and don't have to be on it, 
then more power to you. Very true, very <laughs> true. And fortunately, I mean, the, uh, there's some strong series that I've been a part of. Um, the Million Dollar Listing, which is on the Bravo Network. Okay. Oh, the Million Dollar Listing, uh, New York, L.A., are the two strong ones. They had short ones with Miami and San Francisco, but I've had, uh, uh, you know, worked on all of them. And I have lots of, you know, like uh, maybe like 34. 32 episodes in the New York version and a wow. 22, 25 in the LA version. Um, so they're solid. The Real Husbands of Hollywood on the BET network is another show that I have a fair amount in. Another one that I have the most episodes in is a uh, Animal Planet show called Pitbulls and Parolees, <clears throat> which is a completely different style. Can you say that name again? Pitbulls and Parolees. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, it's sh and, and it's shot in, it's set in New Orleans. Mm. So the style of music is very uh, Americana using, you know, dobro, banjo. Ooh, sweet. Uh, you know, these kind of colors. So, you know, what I enjoy most about this uh, TV and film composing is the range that you can cover if you're able to uh, stylistically genre wise it's just like it's massive so you know my beginnings <clears throat> were in the television world and um, at the same time I started to make going to networking events to watch short films and I met <clears throat> a few of uh, uh, you know film directors this way and one of these relationships ended up with a guy named Gene Blaylock, a director and owner of uh, Serif Films. Right. And uh, I've done about six or seven short films with Gene, which led to our first feature film together called The Nightmare Gallery, which um, it's not a public uh, premiere tonight, but it is the premiere for screening for the cast and crew, of which you, Stuart Strauss, got a special invitation to. And I'm looking forward to it. We're a couple hours away from this, in fact. So, uh, and the Nightmare Gallery stars... Uh, well, Amber the, the lead is Amber Benson. Yes, Amber she, Benson. Okay. Yeah, she had a chief, she had a chief, one of the chief roles in the uh, Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer television right. series. Sweetheart of a Woman, I, I did get to meet her last year at, at a Sarah Films party. Yes. Um... And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing the whole film tonight. In fact, it was a year ago at this holiday party where they basically played the trailer for the first yes. time. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So, uh, and here we are a year later. Yep. And we're going to see the film put together for the first time. These things take time, take lots they of time. Do. They do. And as a matter of fact, I to as I told Gene, uh, who my plus one was going to be, I referred to him not as Stuart Strauss, but as the Woodsman. Yeah. Because we, as, <laughs> as you and I both know, you know, his, his friend Christian right. Calloway, your yes. partner in crime there. Yeah, absolutely. Was another one of the three main Woodsmans yeah. that you've been doing stuff with. But, but Gene was tickled to hear that a Woodsman was going to attend the screening because he's a huge David Lynch fan. Yes. Yeah. He is, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I got to say, well, you know, just working for David Lynch is a gift that continues, continually gives. That's all I can say. Well, he's a luminary. Ah, he's one of the yes. luminaries, yeah. But but anyway, uh, you know, as as I've asked you to do, and I appreciate your willingness to do this, um, I've brought you three uh, short pieces of music from the Nightmare Gallery. The first one is the main title theme. 
The second one is a, uh, a death scene cue, which is very emotional. And the third one uh, is the end title, uh, the end credits uh, song, which I did with my daughter. My daughter's the featured vocalist on that, Sadie O'Neill, who has now has uh, started to put her career together. She's the uh, you know one of the co-leaders of a band out of Salt Lake City called City Ghost. City Ghost, and spelled G-H-O-S-T? Yes. Okay, and uh, how long has Sadie been in uh, Salt Lake now? Uh, just over a year, like a year and a couple of months. And um, and she's making the most of it there oh, and enjoying God. it? Yeah, yeah. This band, uh, they're, they're an uh, indie rock band. Yeah. And what's interesting, it was kind of an unlikely pairing, but she met the guitarist Matt Mascarenas, who um, he's he's an interesting guy. He's a left-handed guitar player, producer. Did you he's, try to get him fixed or, or fix his issue? Okay, never mind. Okay, forget. <laughs> but he's he's like thirty-one years old. Sadie's yeah. twenty-eight, and but he had already had like fourteen years of experience in these do-it-yourself tours. You know, like really kind of an advanced guy, real smart. Works also for a PR firm, so he brings that expertise into the picture promoting the band. But he was playing heavier, like rock music. Yeah. And Sadie came from the more folk singer-songwriter community down here in L.A. before she moved up there. But somehow, they got it together and clicked. And the music they've come up with together is fantastic. I mean, I, w I was up in uh, Salt Lake in December to see their EP release show. Wow. And it was just like... And this is, again, City Ghost. City Ghost. And um, so do they have distribution or? Right now they have internet, internet stuff, uh, presence. Uh, the, the, the name of the project, their first EP is When the, I think is When the Lights Go Out, I believe. But um, some of the songs that, that I, I, I love the most on are there's Silver to Gold. Yes. There's Cave, um, States. These are some of the, the my favorite songs from their well, EP. You know what I've seen with, um, well, with you. I've seen it with Dan. I've seen it with an old dear friend. Uh, we lost David Weinstein. Is your offspring have gotten a lot of gifts from you. I mean, the fruit does not fall far from the tree. So um, we'll be looking forward to whatever Sadie's doing. And now let me ask you, that, why, what in the heck? drew Sadie to move to Salt Lake City in the first place? Well, the, the, the challenges of trying to afford living in Los Angeles, the cost of living in Los Angeles, and trying to make <clears throat> a life for herself when, when, that included her passion in her art, where she was just working a couple of jobs just to pay the bills and not finding enough time to do what she wanted to do. So... A friend of hers lived up there and invited her to come up and stay to see if she liked it. And uh, it's proven to be a good move for her. Does she ski or board? I mean, enjoy no. the winter, though? No, no skiing or boarding. She, mm. has a back, she has a back issue mm. that she cannot do that. But she in certainly enjoys the natural beauty. She takes mm. hikes and, 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 and is in love with all of that. Oh, I'll tell you, I, I've been there... 
two three times i guess mostly in the winter for right. ski trips myself mm -hmm. but yeah there's no place like it on earth yeah yeah i mean just an incredible uh, yeah. area well we went up to uh, i was just up there twice in in the last couple months and yeah the one day we went up to park city yeah. which was like unbelievable and obviously a pretty progressive town as well i mean sundance music festivals right there and all the other events that go on in park city right but actually salt lake city has a big progressive move uh, movement going too now yeah you know blue you know like young people like a you know hipster type of hey. movement happening so uh, like i say i mean you know i've enjoyed myself there and i'm far from you know this this jewish Anglo boys had a good time in Salt Lake and Park City and all other parts of Utah. So, you know, they've they've got a lot there. So um, now let's. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. We're going to to close out the show this evening. I'm going to play these three pieces from the Nightmare Gallery back to back to back and just let them speak for themselves. And from there, I'm going to say good night. Goodbye. Just I'll want to be, make sure. I'll be back. I will be back. You'll be back. We'll all be back. Let's hope we all come back. So I do want to thank you, Mike, for coming in. This is something that we've talked about. Mike's helped me develop this show. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> and uh, more than proud to have you here. Proud to call you my friend. And always looking for the next thing. Always looking for the next thing. So thanks for coming in. Thanks for listening. Once again, this is Into the Woods with Stuart Strauss. And you've just listened to Michael O'Neill for the last while. And you're going to hear a lot more of him musically from now until it's over. Thank you, everybody. Thinking about the troubles that we're all going through The politics of war and domination I tell you it ain't nothing new Lost my job, they took my car I lost my home While big banks seeking dollar mercy Through government bailout loans been down and cried too long Here's what I'm gonna do Let it all go, go, go Let it all go Let it all go, go, go Let it all go Spent years watching my old man Wearing these same old shoes Ain't nothing changed I'm still singing the same old blues I can hear him saying They pit one against the other And watch the whole damn thing fall Come in and pick up the pieces Then hide behind their privileged walls Feel inside so strong, but life goes on. Let it all go, go, go. 
Thanks for joining me today on this edition of Into the Woods with Stuart Strauss. I truly appreciate my buddy Michael O'Neill spending some time with us and sharing his fantastic music library. Hope you got some insights and uh, hey, no matter what part of the world you are in, Michael's probably going to be there this year. So when you do see him, either with George Benson or Barbara Streisand or who the heck knows who, just say hello and let him know you met him on Into the Woods with Stuart Strauss. Oh. 
Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Into the Woods with Stuart Strauss. If you'd like to contact me, use at Stu Strauss. That's S-T-E-W-S-T-R-A-U-S-S, both on Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, use my full name, S-T-E-W-A-R-T-S-T-R-A-U-S-S. To get to my website, just add a .net to that, and you're there. I hope that you've enjoyed this show enough to press the like button, and please subscribe. 